Other Jerry? It's It's like talking from one of my favorite theologians, Dr. Zeus, because I can pronounce his name. It's like thing one, thing two, Jerry one, Jerry two, <laughs> as such. I also want to thank the uh, worship team for doing the entire sermon. They did the scripture, uh, thy words, a lamp within my feet. Introduced me through the song Cornerstone, so we'll get the benediction, you can go home. <laughs> so, but anyway, let me just officially begin by saying thank you for inviting me here and being part of all... Um, uh, that's taking place. Jill and I have come several times. I think the last time was here, you had a benefit for a, a dance thing, whatever it was. It was fun, and then we joined them a couple of weeks later for the uh, Pacific Symphony out in the park, and uh, it was just great being together, and uh, I've also known Curtis for uh, several years back then, and we have connections even back down to San Diego uh, from the um, uh, UCC church down there and um, the Evangelical church, so it's it's like you can run but cannot hide. It's just all these connections. It's almost scary as, as such. But uh, because of that type of fear, we come to the Bible. So let me read our official passage. This is from Psalm 119, uh, 105. We've sung it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Very simple, very simple. Uh, pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and please to you, O God, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. If you say someone is whistling in the dark, what does that conjure up in your mind? Someone whistling in the dark. Just think about that for a moment. For me, that usually, you know, brings to my thoughts that there's someone who's kind of scared, but they're kind of pretending things will get better. It's, it's really not that bad. When I was in graduate school, a friend of mine made me a little stuffed animal. It was a, a puppy. And she said, it's for you to give you comfort while you're in law school. And I would put the puppy on my chest and stare at it. It had two eyes staring down at me. And it, it was as if the puppy was saying, it's not that bad. And I'd say, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like someone saying, you've seen those bumper stickers, you know, cheer up, things could be worse. So you cheer up, and yes, things do get worse. That's, that's life. How many of you have ever walked across a room in the dark? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, own, you're in your own house and you're trying to find the bathroom or, you know, check on the kids, it's not that bad. But for me, growing up with my two little kids, you know, a nice little boy, nice little girl, stepping on Barbie shoes and Lego bricks barefoot, it's a joyful pain in that sense. But um, we try to get around because, you know, we're, we're macho, especially guys, we don't need light. But it's like what Dr. Phil would say, so how's that working for you? I mean, maybe an occasional stub toe, maybe a bruised knee, or you know, a close encounter of the worst kind, and at worst, a broken bone. It's always possible to negotiate places that you are familiar with, but sometimes something gets in the way, so we do need a light of some form. I mean, can you imagine what it'd be like if this whole room was dimmed, and that we were worshiping in Florida, where Hurricane Irma just went through? Uh, no power. No power. Or, you know, we know, we've seen the images of what's happened in the Caribbean and all those different wonderful islands, Puerto Rico. And let's not forget Houston, where Hurricane Harvey left its fingerprints. And then there's Mexico with the 8.1 earthquake. And years ago, I was in the Northridge earthquake. I was 1.5 miles from the epicenter. So that was an interesting experience there. And uh, we also have the copycat hurricanes of... um, 
of Jose and Katia, which downgraded to uh, a storm, but now we also have another storm brewing called Tropic Storm Maria. That's coming up really soon. And some of these places, they're going to be without power, not just for days or weeks, but maybe even months. And we're not even talking about cleanup at this point. We have friends who were with another church, and they just came back from Houston in that area, and already mold is growing all over the place in, in, in about a week or so. And power is slowly being restored, so it's going to be a big, big challenge. And that's when people turn to the Bible, if not to the Psalms, during these times of stress and distress. They look for comfort, they look for guidance, they look for wisdom. In fact, last Wednesday I was at a memorial service for a dear friend of mine, and of course, like in most funerals, they read Psalm 23. And there's something about the Psalms, especially David's Psalms, that gives that type of comfort, kind of like that good, secure, spiritual hug we want from time to time when things just go crazy. But this particular psalm, if you look in your Bibles, and I'm sure you all have Bibles, that a lot of our psalms have these little headings and the authors or what it's used for. But this Psalm 119 does not have a title, nor does it have an author. But most scholars believe that this psalm, it has the same tone and expressions as David, and so they assume that David wrote it. And when you think about it, it is very special. But yet, there's a catch to it. Every eight verses, there is a, it starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's very unusual. It's called, I forget what the term, but it, it's like it's an alphabet type thing. It's, it's um, the tradition holds that, you know, as we grow up in school, our kids learn the alphabet, and they have sing, singing songs as such, and I'm sure when we read the Psalms, we're told that they're all songs throughout. We just kind of lost the music, so we make it up these days. But there's a tradition that holds that David taught his son Solomon this particular psalm, or maybe he wrote it this way, not just to teach him the Hebrew alphabet, but teach him an alphabet for his spiritual life. And when you read it, you see segments that, yeah, I can use this. This is good. And yes, Psalm 119 is a longest psalm, but it has the singular purpose, the singular theme of being practical, personal, for everyday use of the Word of God, especially in our dangerous night journeys through a very, very dark world. Are there any campers here? People go camping? Come on. And I don't mean staying at, you know, at the hotels when you're at a campground, but actually tent camping. But have you ever been out there it gets pretty dark at night because they don't have all the lights. And if you try to find a bathroom in the middle of the night, maybe that's where you don't go camping because you don't know where it is. But when you go out there, you do need a light. Flashlight or your cell phone. Come on, you guys can't disconnect, can you? But you need your cell phone to find that particular bathroom or that special place or check your food because that's where the bears go. But you got to be careful when you walk out there in the forest because there are twigs. There are skunks. There are wolves. There are lions and tigers and bears, oh my, out there. So who's afraid of the dark, right? We're just whistling in the dark, hoping things get better. But, of course, we're never paranoid of what might be out in the dark. Now, speaking as a recovering attorney, I'm also an attorney, um, let me give a disclaimer for the things I'm about to say, because what I'm about to do is, is really kind of a disservice, because as we look at this psalm, I'm really giving you just a snapshot of this psalm by looking at one verse. And maybe it's, it's like if you've ever been to Yosemite or to uh, Grand Canyon, and you only see this much. You're missing so much more of the vastness that's out there. 
And so we're going to look just at one verse, but I also want to give a brief snapshot of a kind of a, a bigger view of left and right, the before and after of Psalm 119. It helps to give us a context of what David is talking about. Um, do you, you know, we, we just sang the song, the Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith song, Thy Words a Lamp, you know, to my feet. And we sing it all the time. We, we know it, we memorize it. But there's a backstory to everything. And the backstory to this song, and I read an interview by Michael W. Smith, is that uh, he and Amy Grant were at a recording studio up in a ranch uh, up in the Rocky Mountains. And um, Michael had originally written most of the tune and, and the theme of the lyrics of this song. And he asked Amy Grant to kind of finish it. And so Amy Grant is going back to her cabin. This recording studio is on an 8,000-acre ranch. And they don't have a lot of lights out there. And up there, they also have lots of bears. And Amy Grant is kind of lost, trying to find her cabin. And she's kind of wandering around in the dark. And she does see a light somewhere. And she finally figures out what it is, how to get there, going carefully in total fear. And it happens to be her own cabin, so she does find her own place. And uh, as she walks towards the light, um, She's ready to write down the lyrics, and so she gets a notebook and pen and finally writes the rest of the song that we sang here. And so I guess some good can come out of the darkness if we trust God in that sense. And, but when I look at the words and knowing the backstory, I realize that when we sing David's song, we're singing it to Jesus, to our Savior. Because, yes, the psalm proclaims, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. But have you actually wondered what that phrase means? I mean, other than just what's obvious, but what it means deeper. Have you ever memorized these lyrics without really knowing how beautiful these words truly are? And that's why I want to look at some of these other verses before and after that one verse. The uh, verses afterwards, verses 106 through 112, says this. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Now, think about what I just said. Think about the words we just sang. And think about what Amy Grant would have felt walking through in total darkness not to be attacked by a bear. I appreciate how David realized the direct connection that the word of God is as an illuminator, as an illustrator, as a brightness to guide his path. And he follows a covenant, really, when you talk about it, when you think about it. It's an oath, kind of like when you get married or you make a commitment to something. And he ensures for himself that he will follow God's law. And in a generation, then as well as now, people have forgotten who God is, God was. And even David himself, you know, he's kind of an escapist, run away from both King Saul as well as King Saul's army who was trying to kill him. And yet David was also an appointed king by Samuel. David knew who God was. And he hung on to that. And I wonder if God's voice actually spoke to him in that silence. Or did he just encounter a, a sense of Yahweh that 
we actually don't know, but we sense of how confident God was. He was doing more than just whistling in the dark. And David links worship to learning to uphold God's law. He boasts that his statutes, God's promises, if you will, are his inheritance, that this is mine. He claims it. And this results in praising God when you read those verses. And David knew that his word, God's word, is a perfect compass, a perfect direct way of getting through the darkness. Let's take a look at the verses before the thy word. Verses 101 through 104 says, I've kept my feet from every evil path that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. David understood the importance of paths. He knew that the right path kept his feet secure from the wrong path that would entangle. And this is a theme that runs throughout not just this section, but all throughout Psalm 119. And it's echoed that the law is good, that the law is truth, and the law is a preserver. And it upholds David's direct path to safety as well as to understanding who God is. So why did I take this little detour of going fast forward and rewind of this particular text. What's the point of it all? At our home, we discovered, like a lot of you guys, I'm sure, have old VHS tapes. Do you guys have that? Yeah. It's just sitting in a box, right? Especially those wedding videos where the kid's growing up. Well, we finally broke down and are converting our VHS tapes to DVD, but because they've been sitting in a garage for years <laughs> as such, how many people have two-car garages? and your cars have never been in your garage because <laughs> they have so much stuff. That's our garage. So we, we found the box, and we're getting But because it sat so unmoved for long, we have to fast-forward the tapes to kind of loosen it, then rewind it. Otherwise, if we start recording it to transfer it to burn it as a DVD, it'll just freeze frame. It'll just be stuck there. And so the purpose of going forward and then backwards releases it so it can s flow smoothly. And the same thing about us looking at these passages my hope is that you see all these verses as a way of how everything is smoothly linked together. Because if you're craving to have God's word as a lamp to your feet, it starts with releasing it and seeing it for what, all that it is and then being obedient to what you know. Because whenever I feel lost, just like David expressed in this entire psalm, or even when a church like this one is going through transition, you look for what's constant. And that constant is the Word of God. It's better than any of my own personal ideas of what my faith walk should look like. It's truer than my ever-changing emotions. And this is the only thing, God's Word, it has the power to be perfect amidst all the transitions that take place in our lives. But it also brings about a very hard truth that obedience is not subjective to my idea of submission. It, means, it doesn't mean that, oh, if I feel like it, or if it's convenient, it means, no, I will follow God's word no matter what. And the bottom line of, this, of that is this, that obedience looks and will feel unnatural. 
is not just feeling good after a positive sermon on Sunday about how you can conquer the world and solve all the homeless problems in the world. It's not about just tolerating every single doctrine that's out there, whatever the wind blows our way. It's not justifying what seems right in your own eyes. It's black and white. How do I know this? Because God's word will never confuse us. David says, I gain understanding from your precepts. He follows the path of God's word, period. Because each day of our lives is like walking into a dark room. Every decision we make is like taking a step into a dark room. And yes, most days, everything's fine. We get up, we're in, in a familiar place. You know, we wake up, climb out of bed. Hopefully we don't walk into the wall. We get dressed, we have breakfast, we brush our teeth, get the kids to school, go to the work. You know, everything's normal. We have lunch, go through our daily tasks, come back home, watch TV, have that bowl of ice cream before going to bed. Everything is fine. Everything is routine. But every so often, someone rearranges the room. Think about that. Someone rearranges the room. There's a knock at the door. The phone rings. An old friend comes by and asking for help. The doctor's office needs to see you right away because the test results just came in. At work, the boss says, close the door, have a seat. As you know, we've been having some cutbacks here at the office. We get a text message from our spouse or child telling us that they're on the way to the ER, the emergency room. Or driving home and notice police cars surrounding our neighborhood. And on closer examination, there are fire trucks in front of your own house. A couple years ago, with all the Santa Ana winds, um, Julie heard all this commotion just down the street from us. And the Santa wind, at Santa Ana winds had blown down a power line and started a fire about six houses down. And the, all, everything was around and smoke was coming. It was getting ready to evacuate. But fortunately, they sequestered that. A few years before that, we actually had to evacuate ourselves from Brea because of all the fires out there. So sometimes the room is rearranged, if not physically. Someone says, I really need to tell you about Uncle Fred and what he's been doing to our kids. You know, things like that. Going through a dark room, even though it's familiar, is scary. Navigating it in the dark can be dangerous, if not challenging and it throws everything we knew out the window. And sometimes the rooms we are asked to walk into are very dark and very unfamiliar from the very beginning. And even before I began ministry, and maybe that's the reason why I entered ministry, there was a homicide that rudely called on my family. And in my first year of ministry, I had to respond to a suicide. And later that year, an attempted suicide by one of my church youth and over time, it was a drive-by shooting. And add to that, a wrongful death situation, elder abuse, a call to child protective services while I was leading a youth camp up in the mountains and being counsel for the church in two clergy trials in our denomination. And dealing with the AAA, and I'm not talking about the auto club, but talking about autism, um, Alzheimer's, and Asperger's. I encountered all that. The room can get very dark especially as a pastor. We know that. You know, I could appear to be very spiritual and just take the easy way out by saying, let me pray about this and see if I can do anything for you. But uh, even though my gut reaction, and I'm sure a lot of our gut reactions say, no way, no way. Send it to the pastor, right? 
we, we do that all the time. But as, you know, we love songs, and I love songs because they often pull together thoughts that I myself could not come up with. But there is a musician named Michael Card. He sings a song about coming to God's calling. And some of the verses go like this. And the call is to community, the impoverished power that sets the soul free, and humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel. For over 25 years, I've been involved with Cairo's prison ministry, which is another story in itself. Prison is a very dark place, and yet the light of Jesus does shine there, and I've seen it there, and I've been blessed to be able to bring the Christ light there from time to time. But a key verse in that ministry is from Matthew 25, where you're familiar with it. It's about you know, visiting the, the prisoner and, and those without clothes and, and all these things. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. So what are we facing in our lives right now? Another missile launch from North Korea, a pastoral search, church budgets, youth programming, missional outreach, a recasting of our vision in the midst of a shifting culture. Do we relabel our bathrooms to, you know, gender-free and all these wonderful things? Have we been asked to walk into a dark room that we have never walked into before? Yes, we have. Has something come up where our, fa- our familiar rooms and even this worship place have been rearranged somehow? How will we decide what to do? Where will we find the light to guide us? Or are we just whistling in the dark? The psalmist writes, Your words are a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He rejoices in God's word being the guiding force in the decisions he has to make. As Christians, we declare God's word, God's holy scriptures, to provide for us the guidance we need in this darkened world, in our darkened rooms where the furniture has been rearranged. What are we to believe and how are we to live or all contained in these sacred words that we call the Bible? And it's not the book to be worshipped. Only God alone is to be worshipped. It's not the book that saves us, but Christ alone that saves us. And it's these words that God shines brightly into the darkness of our lives, into our world, that will cause us to be guided into worship and to praise and how we can experience salvation because Christ has brought and bought it for us and how to live each day because we respond to the light that's in front of us. We have a choice. We can whistle in the dark or we can sing praises to God just like David did because he recognized and we need to recognize that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. So I encourage you that when you feel stuck on a path, when you feel lost, let these words come back to you and sing it out loud because God's word is a light and a lamp to our path. So thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you do open our hearts and more so than that, you open our eyes to see you that you will guide us, that we will trust you, even in the midst of darkness. Yes, we will stub our toes. We'll have close encounters with a bruised kind from time to time. But more so, when the darkness comes, when that phone call comes, 
when we have to respond, we will do it willingly because that is our call to be true to you, true to your light, because it is the truth. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.